the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Today's year-end review Spot Track Podcast is presented by The Athletic. This winter is shaping up to be an incredible time to be a sports fan, and there's no better place to get breaking news, real-time commentary, and powerful stories than The Athletic. The Athletic delivers everything you need on every sports story that matters. Download the app, follow your favorite team and league, get a personalized feed of ad-free content you cannot get anywhere else. Visit today and get 40% off your first year subscription. With the new year right around the corner, it's a perfect time to do it. Give it as a gift. Give it to your kids. Get them reading. Get them listening to podcasts. The Athletic has it all. Again, theathletic.com slash track S-P-O-T-R-A-C. My name is Mike Chinetti. It is the final day of 2021 or excuse me, 2020. I'm already getting ahead of myself. It's going to be our year end review. We do this every year. It's been a blast. We're going to bring in Scott Allen and cousin Dan and have a little bit of a round table, some storylines, how sports kind of went in 2020, obviously unique, what we might want to see in 2021, the biggest storylines, the biggest teams, the highest earners, the best and worst contracts from all these leagues. Uh, you know, some, some good questions from Scott to bring in a little bit of trivia, a little bit of everything. Uh, you know, this one kind of went a little long, but it was on purpose. We had a lot of content. We had a nice year, a weird year, but uh, it's always good to reflect a little bit and always, and also think forward because, you know, what's going to happen with baseball as their CBA expires? Where, what, how is the NFL going to make their money back? And uh, what kind of uniqueness as a fan and as a gambler, right? And, and, and a, as a fantasy player, how is that going to change in 2021? Scott, Dan, and I kind of get into all of that in depth, and I really enjoyed it. So my thanks to them for a great year. My thanks to you for listening. Uh, the, you know, we're upwards of 250 shows here. I did never, I never thought we'd get this far, but uh, it's been a blast. And I, I thank all of you for listening. You know, continue to spread the word. Please, uh, you know, rate us on iTunes if that's where you listen. Give us a review, all that good stuff. Keep us going as much as possible. We're having fun doing it but uh, trying to pay the bills as well, of course. So thanks to all of you for the support. And, you know, at Trek on Twitter, if you've got suggestions, comments, things like that, always up for those as well. Okay, today's episode is also brought to you by OLBG.com, the online betting guide. Could have used them for this conversation because we got really in-depth with how betting and gambling may integrate with our TV watching experience or our at-stadium experience. It's coming. There's no question it's coming. These leagues need to make some money back. And if you consider yourself an NFL expert, now is the time to do it. Get on OLBG.com. There's a pick em contest. It's free. Enter for free. Share your NFL picks and you can win cash prizes up to $780. Every month they're giving away 53 pl- prizes. So there's still time to get in before this NFL season stops. OLBG.com is a sports betting community where expert handicappers share their predictions and then compete for a top place in the leaderboard. While they do that, they're helping others make informed betting decisions. So you're learning while you're playing a game and it's all free. It's the perfect situation. Show them what you got today at olbg.com. We're going to bring in Scott soon, along with cousin Dan. Real quickly, I want to thank all of our partners from 2020. Hit Parade. Check them out on Instagram. You'll be hooked immediately. They're giving away so much great stuff out of these boxes. It's the mystery memorabilia box, of course. Pay a little bit of money. Get yourself a ball. Cousin Scott got me one for Christmas. He sent me a signed ball. Didn't know what it was going to be. It ended up being Lucas Giolito, who I think has a great chance to win the Cy Young in 2021. So there you go. There's an example of taking a risk and hopefully it paying off. But 
There's Jordan stuff. There's Brady stuff. There's Zion stuff. Visit dacardworld.com and visit Hit Parade. No one has more hits than Hit Parade. My thanks to Dynasty Owner. We just wrapped up the Dynasty Owner Expert League and we were the runners up. We got our butts kicked in the final week because Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins decided to do nothing. So uh, that was a blast. Super in-depth salary cap fantasy football. Uh, and that's going to carry on, of course, with these offseason and drafts and all that good stuff. It's a really in-depth system, really good app, really nice website, dynastyowner.com. Check it out. We really enjoyed that. We'll be sticking with that. Hopefully have them back on the show as well. My thank you to everybody. And uh, let's bring in Scott and Dan and talk some 2020 slash 2021 sports. All right. Joined by our year-end panel here, kind of our go-to guests, of course, Scott Allen, who's going to wear more than just the NBA hat today. And cousin Dan, who's generally the baseball guy, the gambling degenerate. Uh, we're going to dabble in those, uh, in those elements for sure here, but we're going to, we're going to cross the board here. It's our year end show. We cover, geez, Scott, what is it? 12 sports now? Is it, is it up to that much at least, you know, more behind yeah, the right. scenes a little bit that, that I know you're working on, but it's a, uh, it's been yeah. a weird year and that's exactly where I want to start. Of course. I don't know how you could start with anything else. Um, and, and part of that is because there was this weird lull and this weird, who knows segment, you and I kind of dove into spot track and said, let's just start expanding the heck out of it because there was no baseball. There was no, you know, NHL playoffs in March and April and NBA as well. So bittersweet in that regard that we got kind of got to branch off a little <laughs> bit inter- internally. And that's sort of what happens is, you know, you make the best of what you have. And then everything came crashing back to us <laughs> in October, September, October, of course. And, uh, you know, we're still probably catching up on sleep because of it. But let's start there. Dan, I'm going to put you right on the spot early here. Welcome to the show. You're a huge sports fan, obviously. Um, as a sports fan, what have you missed the most? And what are you looking forward to most in 2021 as a fan? Um, good question. I mean, as a sports fan, the thing I love most in real life is probably watching a baseball game in real life. So I would probably have to start there. Um, you know, pandemic or not, if live baseball, there's, there's, you know, nothing like it. So that us not being able to go listen to a bat, hit a ball in real life and drink a beer in the sunshine is, uh, is pretty, pretty devastating in my opinion. So, um, I'd say that's the thing I missed. I I have missed most so far. Um, I will kind of piggyback on that and say, I don't think sports has changed for me personally a lot this past year, because I think they've seamless, pretty seamlessly transitioned, um, in the viewing experience hasn't really lost that much in my opinion. So like from us, obviously it's been crazy schedules, changing players going out right before, you know, tip off or game starting, whatever, what, what have you. But, um, I, I, I don't think from the general sports fan, things have been too drastic, uh, too drastically different the last year. So, okay, Scott, let's um, stay looking let's, for, hold on, Scott, let's stay right there for a second. And then I'll get back to Dan on his 2021. You're big in the NBA and the NBA sort of created a brand new viewing experience, which it's still carrying into this new season because of what we're dealing with still. It is it's not better, right? But is it close? Is it something they're going to consider keeping this new experience where there's digital fans included, where there's, 
there's not fans hanging on top of the court. And, and I wonder if that's going to be a multi-sport change. Um, but it, have you heard or, or do you anticipate that something like that may continue on even when we're vaccinated and things are kind of back to where we were? No, I haven't heard anything, but that's a great point because now that the NBA is in full swing, we don't see those giant boards behind them. All they have is advertisements with the, the uh, seats blocked off or you know showing those advertisements. They, they didn't put those giant boards behind uh, the viewing to show fans and digital in this sense. Uh, we saw it in the bubble, but I haven't heard anything of the sense. I think the, the biggest thing is they're trying to get fans actually in into the arenas to get that revenue. Uh, but I have not seen that transition from the bubble to the live where they continued to have the live, you know, fans uh, showing up on the back of the, of the uh, benches there. Yeah. Yeah. So th- you, you think it'll just go back to filling up the stands as much as possible, including those courtside seats? Yeah, I do. I think so. I think that's their main goal because obviously that's a huge slice of revenue. So they're going to do everything possible to try to get fans in those seats and and they're probably saving the man hours and, and the money from having to set up boards and digital boards in every single arena across the league instead of just two courts in, in Orlando. So they're probably trying to save as much money as possible where they can. That's probably one expense that they'd rather and, just have. And quite the frankly, Scott, yeah. And quite frankly, that's something the TV networks can carry on. Those don't have Could. to live inside of the arenas anymore. Well, Those can live on the broadcast and still exist, you know, sponsored by Bud Light or whoever it's going to be. Well, what, one of the things I'm kind of surprised that they haven't done with all the digital overlays that they've been doing is, you know, in hockey, they have those digital overlays of the advertisements on the ice right. and everything. I'm surprised they haven't done a digital overlay of the fans in the background where you don't have to set up the boards, but they can you can see the fans in the background or it, it may look too gimmicky, but um, it, it you know, I'm surprised the NFL hasn't they, sponsored the first yard line, the, the, the first down line yet. Honestly, right. I mean, there's revenue laying on the field right there, right? Dan, I, I know you're a big hockey guy as well. Um, any of this conversation sort of bleed into your sports viewing experience? Do you hate it? Because I don't, I don't think we've ever had this conversation with you in terms of 2020 and what has changed on television. You, you tend to watch a different set of sports than Scott and I do on a regular basis. Where do you sit with the 2020 viewing experience? I'm, I think it's excellent. I mean, for the most part, these, you know, these TV deals are so massive. They've kind of fine tuned everything that the viewing experience is excellent. And, and especially when you're sitting at home on the couch and you're kind of scrolling on Twitter and, you know, they have the the audience in the background and you, you really don't even notice it unless you think it anymore. So um, I think you're, I think you're specifically mean targeting like ads though and stuff like that. I, 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 I think that's the point you were trying to get at. I don't mind it. I, I do find certain things a little bit annoying like in hockey behind the boards I'm not a huge fan of the ad on the glass that is just specifically distracting to me but um I don't mind it like I don't mind the product you know advertising in certain spots where where it's needed so if that's where you're trying to go to it yeah. I, I don't I don't mind if there's more of that and less uh, you know if they if they split away from the in the fan in-person experience and sacrifice some of that and and try and make the viewing experience even better then I I think there's some room to grow there for sure so real quick then all three of us kind of go around the room here 
where do we stand on jersey advertising? Because I think that's going to be coming in drones here. I really do. I think every sport's going to do it. Um, and I think baseball will have the hardest time getting it done because it's the most traditional sport. It's, you know, there's the, the, the fan base that exists for it are older and <laughs> tougher with change. Let's put it that way. So are we good with it, you know, in terms of our viewing experience? Yeah, I mean, what choice? What choice do we have? It's already here. I mean, once <laughs> once baseball sticks the Nike swoosh on the jersey, it's. I mean, the door is cracked, and we're just we're just gonna have to get used to it. I mean, to yeah, your but point, what, to Dan, but what if what if the Mariners take away the Seattle on the front and it becomes an Amazon? Because that's where I think we're going. So, that's the that's the English Premier League okay. model. Yeah, so that is going to be a different barrier in American sports. I'm glad you specified that because I, I that's not immediately what jumped to my mind, but that is very a very interesting mm-hmm. point. Now, the small the stuff that's been on the NBA jerseys, what you see on hockey jerseys overseas, which yeah, hockey jerseys are more almost like a they're almost no, not really. It's almost like a NASCAR jersey. Do you know what I mean? Like the ads are like in little patches all over the jersey and your jersey is basically a NASCAR um, vehicle, but I'm getting off topic there. Yeah, no, no, no. I, do you I prefer think... that of the two? Do you prefer the NASCAR model? That's an actually a really good point. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that is better. I think Americans are going to have a very hard time separating their emotional. Like, yeah. I mean, a lot of us just blindly follow a Jersey, you know, that we grew up with because our parents have really no other identifying reason to, you know, other than we live in Buffalo. So we like the bills, but other than that, I mean, yeah, I, I think Americans will have a hard time getting away from that identity that comes with your team, your Jersey. But I mean, we, like to some degree, if there's a crest on the front, I think everyone's going to, you know, be able to get around all the other, all the other stuff that gets added. So, I mean, the, the, yeah. the English Premier League is intolerable. They change kits every freaking six months. There's a new second kit, a new third kit. There's a new champions league kit. There's a new, uh, you know, international kit. It's in, insufferable to a degree. But, you know, the main, your Man U's, your Man City's, your Arsenal's, they've been sponsored by billion, the same billionaire company for a long, long, long time. So there is a bit of consistency with it. I just don't, that, that won't happen here. And to me, Dan, your point is extremely valid because look, if players are going to continue to move more and more, which they have, it's already tough enough to pick a jersey, right? It's already tough enough to pick a LeBron jersey when he's moved four times. Um, but now if you're adding the, the, the wrinkle of, okay, well, it's the Lakers Amazon jersey versus the Lakers Microsoft jersey, you know what I mean? Like it's it's either more buying experience or more frustrating to the fan. I think you're right. Out of the gate, it's going to be well, yeah, a and, very and, hard and sell. Two, and two years from now, Microsoft may not even have any sponsorship with them. So mm-hmm. you have totally different kits two years from now. And right. that's what I don't follow. I like soccer and I, I, it's a sport I would like to spend more time getting into, but it's very intimidating. And I think that's one of the aspects is I don't even know where to start because I can't look at a screen and really understand who I'm watching or make a general associations about this player. You know, I see, a, I see Cristiano Ronaldo. You can find what 50 different pictures of him in 50 different jerseys from his career, you know, so that things like that are hard for like, you know, people who are not in into the sport, you know, deeply to, to kind of start to 
to undertake. But I mean, we are talking about jerseys here. So this is a pretty bad uh, um, excuse for me to not watch soccer because of the jerseys. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, l- l- let me chime in here. I think the NBA has, from an American sport aspect has done the best job of having the advertisement on the jersey, but keeping their uh, their their logo, their name, whatever it is. And the fact that like I can go to Fanatics, I looked it up. I could buy a LeBron jersey and it's a Lakers jersey without the little uh, emblem that they've sewn on there. But if I go and I do a Manchester United jersey, you're seeing a giant Chevrolet ad with the small team logo. Um, So I think from the NBA standpoint for an American sport, I think they've done a pretty good job. And when this new round of uh, the season came about, some of those um, sponsorships changed for the teams and they were going for millions of dollars for a switch. So the revenue was going up because of that. And if you really watch the telecast does a, a, a very good secret job of focusing in on those logos at certain times during a free throw or during a timeout, they'll, they'll pan on those specifically. So I, I think they've done Scott. a really good it's, job of it. It's a four TV ad. You pegged it. That's exactly Correct. what it is. It's yeah, built it, it, into it's, the broadcast. It's, cle- it's cleavage on a reality TV show. It's the same. It's the same thing. <laughs> well, well, and and I noticed in the last two weeks here, the NHL is doing it on their helmets. Yes. And I think the Florida Panthers were the first team to have two logos, one two sponsorships, one on either side of the helmet. So not only are you going to have uh, one side of the camera seeing, you know, one logo, but when they're going the opposite direction, you're going to see a different sponsorship. So they're, they're trying to get a little fancy in that. And I, I get it. They have to, because they're, they're losing as much money as possible. Um, so I, I would not be surprised if this trickles down, at least in, in, you know, in baseball where they do a patch. So it's not as in, in your face, but you still can retain, you know, the, the Mets logo or Mets on the front or Indians on the front or whatever it may be. Okay. What about 2021, Dan? What needs that? What needs to happen for you in 2021? Do you want just a complete restore to normalcy? Is that what you're hoping for? Um, well, what do you mean by normalcy in sports? Like, (laughs) I guess as a sports fan, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I don't even want to, by normalcy, if you mean people in the stands and like, as it was, you know, 12 months ago, or, you know, what is it now? Maybe even 18 months ago now. Um, I think, I mean, yeah, of course we would all like to see that to some degree, but I, 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 I don't think we're. So in 2021, I guess I, I still think we're a bit away from, you know, the normalcy of sports, having people back there um, and what it looked like a, a little bit ago. But um, I, I think I would like to see the, the sport, each league kind of get ready to get back on track in late 21 or, or I'm not even sure how the timeline is going to set up with the NBA and the NHL now, but I think that they should get look forward to sort of getting back onto a normal schedule. And even if that means, um, you know, baseball in 2022 doesn't have fans at the start or, or has limited capacity still. Like, I, I think that's more of a realistic thing than to just expect, you know, Dodger Stadium to have 50,000 people in it every game again. So um, I, I would like to see them, each league as a whole, have a good plan in place if things go south and, you know, how they can 
keep sports afloat because I, I, I think that's been a huge savior in this for a lot of us the last, I mean, some people don't care about sports, but for anyone who does, this has been a huge part of your life probably for the last, uh, for the last year. So I think if every league has a good plan in place and um, they get ready to kind of get back on track here in the next year or so, then I, I, that's what I would like to see pretty low bar. I think though. So how about you, Scott? Yeah. I, I, I agree with Dan. I think more of the normalcy is going to be back in, in the back end of 2021. But I, I think as best as possible, getting back to that normal schedule, if the NBA can really, you know, finish off this season and then start up again with their usual season in October, if baseball can get through, um, I, I, th I think that is the best case scenario. And, and like Dan said, having that you know, they have to have this documentation and some of these leagues are going to have new CBAs. They need to have all of these ducks in a row so that in the event that a pandemic happens, and I get pandemics don't happen all the time, but in the event that something like this does happen in the next, you know, three, five, 10 years, they, they've got to have a plan in place knowing that this has happened before. And they need to know, are we going to a bubble right away? Or are we going to this specific venue? And I get things are contingent upon things that are already scheduled, but they need to have a better job of having these contingency plans because, you know, as a teacher, um, I always had to have emergency sub plans and I always had to have a backup in case something happened. And they always said one to two weeks. And, you know, these leagues are going to have to have something in place to know that that's going to happen. Especially financially. Don't you think that was the biggest? Yeah hurdle to get over especially with baseball it just took forever they didn't know where to start where to end there were so many iterations of the salary situation back and forth that you and i were trying to crunch and excel and keep and stay on top of and then you know the other sports were able to kind of follow baseball's lead because of what they had to go through in the spring um i have to imagine that there's going to be a permanent fire escape plan for the salaries built in that's going to have to be renegotiated and agreed upon with every iteration of the CBA for every sport now. I mean, to me, that was the biggest loophole and it just so happens that it's in our wheelhouse, but you're right. I mean, the health, the health plans were lacking the, just the ability to kind of continue on with benefits and salaries or paychecks, some sort of unemployment plan, right? It, it didn't exist. I mean, we, the NBA friends, I mean, you had players like Steph and LeBron, not that they needed help, but they had to punt so many of the, much of their salary forward into 2020 or you know take away from 2021 to pull back into 2020 which you're now having to deal with in the current year everyone had their own little wrinkles so to me that was the uh the, you're right it's about the leagues making sure they have their ducks in a row on this especially with the finances well and it, it, it's going to be super important moving forward because i don't know if you saw it come across this afternoon but the mls the players union did a force majeure and now the CBAs got ripped up because they they came out and said that they lost $1 billion because of this pandemic. And now they're having to redo their CBA because of all the stuff that's happened and restructuring. And uh, so that that came through this afternoon. Wow. No, I didn't see it. But we're going to see a lot more of that. And I'm not even going to dabble into the smaller college sports situation, but man, is that going to get ugly this coming year? I mean, it's going to be, mm -hmm. we're going to have to have Emily Karen back on at some point here and kind of dive down that path. But the smaller, you know, not the non-giant sports leagues are certainly going to be taking hits. There's no question about that. The, the, the worst is yet to come. All right, Scott, let's kind of flip around our plan here for 
And just to let everyone out there know what the plan is, our year-end show, if you haven't heard one before, we do a couple of things, a couple of storylines from the year, you know, which we've already started here. We'll go through our top players, our top teams, you know, some additions to the site, obviously the highest earning players from all of the, the leagues that we cover. And then we'll kind of round it off at the end here, trying to, try to make it not super long here, but uh, I want to I flip it on its head. So I want to continue on with these storylines because I think that, that opening discussion was good. And I want to kind of piggyback onto it into, look, we, you know, knock on wood for the NFL, but all of these sports, all of these major sports have gotten to the finish line one way or another. They got there. And we can start with, I guess it was the Dodgers. Was the Dodgers winning first? Right. And then Tampa Bay winning the Stanley cup in that order. Um, and then, and then the Lakers, is that correct? Was it, was that mm-hmm. the A, B and C? I think Feel so. Free to, uh, yeah, I think so. <laughs> call me off here. Uh, <laughs> so look, baseball gets it done first after the longest season that, of any of these. And it couldn't have been a more, more polarizing financial matchup. You know, we spent a ton of time on it. The world kind of spent a ton of time on it because you had the, Goliath Dodgers, who are the second in spending versus the, you know, just the, the small man team in the Tampa Bay, something that they've always been. And they get to the finish line in the American League, finally, 28th ranked in payroll. And, and they find themselves up against the, the Dodgers and gave them a good battle. And they got themselves close enough. But I don't want to focus on how, how they got there or that they got there. I want to focus now on after the championship because that takes us into 2021 with all of these sports and with all of these championship teams. So if you're talking about the Dodgers, for instance, they've done nothing yet, nothing. They made a small trade to kind of the third team in a trade. That's it. And not that the off season has done anything much with baseball anyway, but the Rays have done something. Okay. The Rays have subtracted kind of heavily here. And uh, you know, a big relief pitcher and a major starting pitcher in Blake Snell out the door. This is not uncommon at all. And this is something that Tampa Bay, Miami, Toronto, teams that it takes them a lot to get to the top. And once they do, they are smart enough to realize that they can't sustain it, that it's not even worth trying for them to sustain being a championship level team, financially speaking, everything that goes into it, right? Everything that takes to get there. And they've traded arguably their best pitcher in the last week or so. So, it's, it's, it's uncommon. And I just did a quick rundown of the other championships. Obviously the Lakers did not do that. The Miami heat kind of stood pat. They're kind of in Dodgers mode right now, right? They, they, they extended a player. They brought in a couple of small free agents, but they brought back pretty much everybody similar to the Tampa Bay lightning brought back. Everybody didn't really do much damage. They gave it a nice extension to Kucherov. Other than that, it, it wasn't about ripping it up or anything. Uh, Dallas Stars similar, kind of stood pat, and then we get to the Chiefs, the Super Bowl, the, the NFL version of this, right? The Chiefs did everything possible, uh, you know, more so than any of us thought they could, to keep their core together, and they paid everybody. They paid Mahomes the contract. We'll, we'll of course talk about in a second. They paid Kelsey. They had already paid Tyree Kill. They paid Chris Jones. You, you know, the, the list goes on and on. So they're in. So they are, they are in dynasty mode in Kansas City is kind of the, uh, the apple and orange I want to get to here. The Kansas City Chiefs, what they did almost immediately after winning the Super Bowl is they said, okay, 
we need to keep as many of these players as possible and we need to pay them top dollar. They did it and they did it much to a lot of people's chagrin. They did it, but they're now invested to a three to four year window with almost everybody. Obviously Mahomes, it's a lot more, but that's a risk. I'm not sure it's worth taking. Now they don't have to be Tampa Bay, right? Nobody expected them to trade Patrick Mahomes the second they won the Super Bowl because they got to the finish line. Similar with the Lakers. You know, it wasn't about getting rid of LeBron at that point, although you and I had that discussion. You know, would he want to go and, and try it somewhere else? In 2021, let's just focus on the next couple of days here. In 2021 and going forward, because we've, Scott, you and I have had shows focused on the Warriors, focused on Golden State and how that plan, while it worked for a good stint, it broke them. It broke Draymond Green. I'm not sure he's ever going to be the same player. It certainly broke down Clay physically. There's no question about it. And Steph has had back-to-back years with major injuries. It physically broke these players. And you like to say that LeBron is the anomaly. He, he sure as hell is. He, you know, and that's Tom Brady in the NFL. He's the anomaly. He just doesn't get hurt or, you know, he, he takes such ridiculous care of his, you know, outside of the field body that it, it, it translates into a, you know, a 25 year career in your sport. That's just not going to happen with the normal people. And, you know, you look at the chiefs, is it reckless what they've done is the point I want to get to. And again, if Tampa Bay is Z Tampa Bay is let's get to the top and then rip it down, which they're starting to do. Where should we be? What, where is the sweet spot for a current mini dynasty in sports right now? Probably the middle of the pack towards, you know, spending efficiently, but middle of the pack. So I guess I would say a third down of the list of spenders because you don't want to be overspending. You don't want to be necessarily underspending, even though we've seen Tampa Bay and whatnot. I I think going into 2021 and and beyond, we're going to see more teams go into the money ball aspect. And I I just finished reading that. I just finished reading that book and it was phenomenal on top of having seen the movie. But I think 2021, we're going to see more um, NFL teams maybe transition to this money ball aspect where they're trying to be more efficient for their dollar um, instead of going all out and paying 35, 40 million dollars because they're seeing what the effects are in the NBA and, and you're seeing these astronomical salaries and in, in a way, you know, they're strapped because to make movement in the NBA, you have to match the salaries. You don't have to necessarily do that in the NFL, but we're seeing some of these contracts, you know, Carson Wentz, Matt Ryan, at some point we talked about golf, some of these contracts that you don't think they're going to be tradable because of the dead cap that's going to be hit because of the, type of cap system that the NFL has. So I think if anything happens, we're going to start seeing a more smarter general manager, coaching capologist on those teams and doing more of a um, efficient versus production on the field because, you know, every penny is really going to count moving forward. And, And to that point, you know, listeners out there may be thinking, well, you're saying the NBA, you don't have to pay to win. And, people would immediately rebut that with saying, well, what about the Lakers? Because you you look at what the Lakers have and it's easy to assume that they're one of the top paying teams in the league. 
They were they were 19th in cash last year, yeah. out of 30. 19th. So no, it's it's exactly the opposite. They weren't the Clippers who were 10th. They weren't the Heat who were third. The Warriors who were second. They were lower third in cash spending, and that's GM work. That's a mm-hmm. little. That's we've got LeBron, and we're going to pay him as much well, money as possible, and we're going to do whatever we have to pay do to pay Anthony Davis with as much money as possible. But we're going to start to get really creative after that, and that is the sweet spot, right? That's that's right. keeping yourself in the middle of the pack, like we've talked about. Whereas, you know, you don't have to go out and build a dream team via the draft and the free agency all in one year. It's, we've talked about staggering so much. Teams like the Buffalo Bills, how they've done such a nice job of mixing in draft versus free agency versus trade and also when to extend and when not to extend so that you're not all in one pot, which now, you know, that's, that's a point I forgot to make with the chiefs. That's all. They're all pot in now in terms of extensions in basically a one to two year window. So like the warriors, it's all going to come crashing down at some point, financially speaking, there's going to be a year where they're just going to have to go through business hell from a dead cap perspective, from a, you know, taking a bath on a couple of trades, something that the Eagles are probably going to have to do this offseason. So there, there is a sweet spot. And I think to, to kind of round off your point, Scott and Dan, I'd love to hear your thoughts as well. It, it's, almost, it's almost easy now to look at teams that are going all in, whether it's a free agency, whether it's a, you know, loading up on first round picks, like even OKC the OKC Thunder with their 97 first round picks. Nobody thinks that's, that's going to work. <laughs> nobody, right? Scott, nobody, nobody thinks that acquiring that much draft capital is actually going to turn them into a championship team. It just doesn't happen that way. It happens by getting LeBron James and putting three to four guys that just happen to work around him. That's just how the NBA works. And it's similar in the NFL. I mean, I mean the bills would be nothing without Josh Allen being the player he is this year versus last year. Nothing. They'd be, they wouldn't even be contenders. So you can do what you want, but you got to get lucky at some point of this. And then when you get lucky, you can't throw $400 million at it. I think that's what we're learning in 2020, 21 now, right? Is money isn't going to fix the problem. It's actual analytics. It's actual data. And it's a hell of a lot of luck too. Dan, do you agree with that? I do agree. I think I'm going to make a pretty obvious point, but I I think you should look at these a little bit more individually, the sports. I I think we're trying to paint kind of a broad stroke over all four sports and really each one. um, God, they're so different in the dynamics of each. Like, like for instance, your Mahomes example, I, I totally agree. The chiefs are probably in a tough spot going forward, but of all sports, we, we just saw Tom Brady do this for what, 12 years in the, in the AFC East where that, you know, financially, you've looked at this day after day and said, how are they going to make it happen? And every year they somehow make it happen. And if you have that one cornerstone piece in football as a, you know, a quarterback and a coach, Andy Reid with him, you know, of all tandems, I, th- I think what you're trying to say is once you have that piece, these teams are sort of trying to make a dynasty of it by going for it. Well, you you do that knowing you're going to have to tear it down and i think the chiefs very well know that this is not this is a short window and then beyond this they're really going to have to piece this thing together right i mean um i i don't i guess what i'm trying to say is i yeah. think these let me stop you are, there dan because the the question i want to really 
hammer on here for the next minute or so is, is it worth it? Yeah, a hundred. And that's, I was going to get there. Do you think these teams actually care when they have to tear it down when they just had a diet? Like the, the Golden State Warriors, I can gar- I can almost guarantee you none of them or their fans are sitting here really crying You're about right. this year, what they're going to go through after they had, what, what was it, five years of literal dominance? Like you, that's the cost of it, right? And, the, and Bill Belichick said that before this year, whether that was just blowing smoke or, or what, but like the Cam Newton year, the, th- the moves they had to make this year was a culmination of literally 15 years of dominance. And if that is the price they have to pay, then that's, that, that's the price they have to pay. I think as fans, we are constantly looking for the next dynasty. And as sports franchises, these organizations are just saying, I just want that minute of glory at the top of the mountain. And we'll take whatever, like Mike, 2015, the Mets, me, the Indians, 2016, would you get, if they, if the Mets won in 2015 and then have been the worst team in the league for the next five years, would you have cared? I I think I know the answer to that. Same with the Indians. If they had that moment at the top of the mountain and then they had to be the Indians and come back down to earth, I would have understood that as a, as a sports fan. And, and I, I guess I'm not really tying it all together. No, no, you I, are. But let me let me push back on you right there because your Mets obviously questioning me hits hit home. Um, because they did pay Cespedes, they did pay Degrom, they did pay. You know what I'm saying? They did destroy their payroll, got their GM fired, got everybody fired, um, because they they went pot committed on this is who we are. We got to continue this down the train. It definitely hurt them. And it hurt me. Right? Um, and, and again, a lot of that was luck. A lot of that was Cespedes just literally falling off the side of the earth. But, you know, it could have been injuries. It could have been a lot of things. So uh, let me push back on your Chiefs point. What if the Chiefs never win another one? Well, I think because they're they, they are paying for another Super Bowl right now. So in a way, you're asking you're asking you're hypothetically saying Chiefs, if you knew you could have 10, 15 years or 10 years of Pat Mahomes, but you never win another Super Bowl year, would you rather have Mahomes or would you rather have gotten off the horse after the first Super Bowl? Right. I mean, that's so. Yeah, I guess that's the, that is what the Rays the, do, right? And it's the Andy Dalton question. Have Cincinnati fans been lucky for the last 10 years that they've made it to the playoffs every year? Or have they kind of been the victims of an organization that's been okay with mediocrity, right? I mean, so, and and there, Mike, let's let's spin that to your Mets point. The Mets get there in 2015, and that offseason, they sign Cespedes. Let's say they don't sign Cespedes, and they pull back and say, we need to retool. Every Mets fan in the world is freaking out that you were right there. You have the staff. You have a team around him. Why did you not pay him? I mean, I, I how many times did I reiterate to you that I thought the Cespedes deal at the time was great? They had everything else in place. What they were missing was that big bat, and he provided it in the postseason and basically walked them into that World Series, right? Now, okay. the, the Rays are going through the similar thing, but it's just a different organization. They got there, and they pulled back instead of going for it and doubling down and adding or paying Blake. I mean, bad example, Blake Snell's already paid, but you know what I'm trying to say. Yeah. They, they, instead of going for it, they pulled back and 
all across the industry, people are hammering them for pulling back, right? So, I mean, it's it's really organization by organization, your fan base, your the size of your market, what you're in and the mentality you have. I mean, there's so many variables to each team, each organization and each sport that I think it's really hard to paint a broad stroke. That's really my- that's Okay, my- so, so back to football then, because that's, you know, what pays the bills here. The Chiefs paid everybody. As I said, everybody, and it's almost simultaneously, right? It's basically five, five or six massive contracts within an 18-month period. So into, to your Mets example, Dan, they did have a staff, right? They weren't even going to pay to ground for another two years. That was 2018, I believe, 2018, all right? Which is exactly what I think the Chiefs could have gotten away with. They didn't have to pay Mahomes at all. They could have waited at least a year, maybe even two, maybe even three, right? You just, you had the guy, you just won, you had the momentum. It's almost like they felt 150% obligated to pay him because of what he just did, which is. But, and they saved, they say simultaneously saved them a ton of money by not waiting two years, right? But your example with Cespedes is like Travis Kelsey, right? What if Travis Kelsey was the odd man out this year and they didn't pay him and they let him walk? You're right. Kansas City people would be losing their freaking minds. And maybe rightfully so. I'm not sure they can, you know, they're the number one seed right now without Travis Kelsey. I think that's pretty obvious. But knowing you had to pay Travis Kelsey, knowing you had to pay Chris Jones, why did you also feel obligated to pay Patrick Mahomes is my point. Why couldn't you have staggered this and given yourself a better business approach at the four-year window versus let's get it all done now. And then whenever it cuts off, it just cuts off. Do you understand what I'm saying? To me, what the Kansas City Chiefs did is the old school way of looking at it. We've got the guys. We got to keep them here. We got to keep them happy. That's not how it works. That's not even how the NBA works. I mean, I mean, the Milwaukee Bucks waited forever, basically, with this with this Giannis extension, Scott. And, and that's a player-driven league. You know what I mean? So to me, what the Chiefs did is probably correct, but the manner in which they did it, this immediacy, that's antiquated to me. That That's the wrong approach. And Scott, to bring you back in the conversation here, and I am in no way comparing Carson Wentz and Patrick Mahomes as apples and apples here, but that's why, that's why the Eagles are where they are right now because they gave Carson Wentz a Mahomes contract two years early with rolling guarantees that vested a year early and in some cases two years early. His roster bonus for next year was already locked in last year like crazy early. I mean, they had so much confidence in paying that guy that much money in that kind of structure that it is, of course, now we know what happens. Um, and I'm again, I'm not comparing the two, but paying early, Todd Gurley didn't work. Paying early, Carson Wentz didn't work. Jared Goff's going to be a big conversation in a couple of months because he's not playing now. They're going to miss the playoffs most likely. And where does he land in this conversation now? Paying the quarterback early, which is the most important position. If you're going to pay anybody, pay the quarterback. That's generally what I say. But I actually think the Chiefs went backwards here, and they didn't have to pay Mahomes. They could have acknowledged Mahomes, but they didn't have to pay him, and they could have capped Kelsey, and and it would have looked like Cespedes, Dan. It would have looked like, oh, we're just keeping that piece, and then in a couple years, we're going to keep the Grom and make sure that the staff stays intact. To me, that's the right approach to similar situations, even though we're talking multi-sport here. I, I love that the Chiefs are still together. They are one of the most fun teams to watch in our sports lifetime. There's no question about it. They're just must-see TV. But I'm worried that what they did here 
is going to get him. That's all. That's all I'm saying. Oh, yeah, and I totally disagree with – I'm sorry. Let me back up. I totally agree. Jesus. No, 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 no. I totally agree with that point, that paying – especially in, in football where the players have almost no leverage. None. Paying players early is a poor decision. And, I mean, the best thing in football is having a rookie quarterback on his rookie contract, especially when you have the fifth-year option. So, yeah, I, in general, I think paying a quarterback is a poor decision – like LeBron in in the NBA, you say is an anomaly. I think Mahomes might be the anomaly, but I I get it. The timing of all the other deals surrounding Mahomes kind of you know put their foot in their mouth, but uh, we'll see how it works out. I guess. Good stuff, Scott. You got any questions for us right now? I know you've got a whole bunch uh, kind of lined up. Is there anything relevant to this conversation before we move on here? Uh, yeah, uh, one of the questions I had so far is. Um, which do you think is the most impactful transaction of 2020? So I pulled a few out here. The Betts trade, the the Diggs trade to Buffalo, the Mahomes record deal, the Giannis extension, and then I threw in Michael Jordan going to NASCAR. I know it's not technically a transaction, but it's sure. it's in the headlines there. So, Or is there a transaction that you guys think was more impactful moving forward or for this year that I, I, I didn't think of? How about just Michael Jordan in general in 2020. So the last dance yeah. pretty much carried our lively st- our livelihood for an entire month and a half in terms of sports viewing. Then he dives himself into NASCAR and the Bubba Wallace situation, which was a huge, huge storyline again. And then he gets himself into the Gordon Hayward situation and becomes one of the biggest storylines of the NBA free agency. I mean, it's just huge. I mean, he, he kind of popped up everywhere. So I'd probably give 2020 mm-hmm. to him right now. <laughs> Dan, what do you think? I mean, we call Mike and I had an extensive discussion about the the potential Mookie Betts trade and all the impact of it and how it would just <clears throat> push the Dodgers over the top. I think we kind of nailed our assessment of that. So I'm going to say, I, I mean, we're tooting our own horn on it, but I, I do think that was just a massive move and, you know, such an interesting case study from an MLB contract perspective. Um, I think that was one of the more uh, impactful and interesting moves, I think, of the year for me. Speaking of teams, by the way, that are picking their spots with major contracts and going money ball elsewhere. I mean, <laughs> the Dodgers, yes, I know their payroll is high, but remember, we've talked about this. A lot of that payroll last year was dead cap. It was money that's, it was Matt Kemp and it was crazy play. Carl Crawford, players like that, where they went through their bad times and, and baseball had an eight year stretch there where it got ugly. But that current roster is built extremely intelligently, extremely intelligently. And as, as we mentioned, the guy who started it there went to Tampa Bay and did it again there. So it's, uh, it's really interesting how those two teams got to the finish line last year based on how they were building themselves. And that's a very modern approach to team building in Major League Baseball. And that's what I think needs to come to football. It, it does. Football yeah. needs that on a grander scale. It's bigger rosters, right? Yeah, let's let, let's transition because my next question was right on spot with that. With owners and GMs, we've seen a lot of team, a couple teams where the owners um, have sold, and, and you know we got new owner in like the Utah Jazz, the uh, Minnesota Timberwolves are in the process of trying to sell there, and then the Mets obviously, and we've talked about GMs, and if you or Dan, if you were able to pick to either own the team or be the GM and have all the control like uh, Billy Bean or Epstein or any of those guys, uh, Billy Bean, 
Um, which one would you pick and why? I wouldn't pick basketball. I tell you that right now. Um, even though it's the smallest roster and maybe the easiest to wrap your head around in terms of the, the analytics, because there's just really a lot out there now. The, the player empowerment is very intimidating. And I realize the guys that buy the guys and gals that buy these teams have their own egos and that's why they are who they are. Right. That's why they have billions of dollars. But I, I have to imagine that there's a lot of friction inside those organizations on a, on a daily basis because of the push and pull between the players, the front offices, and these owners are extremely involved. Steve Ballmer, Mark Cuban, they're, ex- they're they are literally sitting courtside for every practice, yeah. you know, the whole bubble, things like that. So I would stay out of that. I think that that's intimidating from a, from where that league stands currently, you know, Dan and I, I think both our hearts are both with baseball, but man, I, you know, the, the, the 21 day forecast for baseball, I don't think either of us love what we're looking at in terms of what's coming, you know, especially with the strike and, and who knows how things are going to change is minor league baseball going to, going to live to see another day. Um, so I guess the softball answer is just to get in, yourself into the NFL, uh, which is where I live mostly anyway with my day. And I'd probably pick, you know, a president of operations or, or a general manager, something to that degree so that I, I could not only, you, you know, maybe I take myself away from the contracts a little bit more and more into evaluating the players, uh, you, you know, as human beings, uh, the, the culture side of it, because clearly uh, that's a big part of things right now. You, you know, with social media so involved as it is with a lack of college and a lack of maybe that gap, you're going basically from travel sports to club sports right into a professional uniform at this point. And it's really hard to manage that, especially in the NFL. And that, I think that's going to become even more prevalent as who knows what's going to happen with college football, right? If the power five situation breaks off, like we all think it's going to, and it's going to be separate from the NCAA, you know, is that just going to be a funnel now for like 19 year olds to come right to the NFL? And will that make it even worse? So I think the, the analysis process from inside of teams inside the NFL is only going to be, it's like an exponentially going to become more important. And that's probably where I live. What about you, Dan? What do you think? Oh, baseball for sure. I can't <laughs> even imagine trying to uh, trying to tr- trying to reasonably explain why I chose a different sport. For this. Yeah, no, I I think um, yeah, I so love like, the game owner. Oh. owner, owner, GM. Obviously, owner, you're going to make the money. But w- would you rather be the owner where you're sort of hands off, or do you think you would rather be the GM where you can tinker and and play and make the moves and all that kind of stuff? Just let me be Jerry Jones, Scott. All right. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> no. Um. I mean, something I think, nobody has said ever in their lives. <laughs> I um. I mean, to own a team is just like you know, if I was ever that filthy rich. Um, right. You know. Yeah. I do that in a heartbeat. Um. Also, the job security of ownership is uh, likely forever, and GMs are expendable. But um, like the game theory aspect of um, like trying to piece it all together, this giant puzzle of an, uh, you know, multi-level organization, minor leagues, you know, super deep prospects, international pool. I, 
there's so many variables to baseball that I think make it so interesting um, that I, and, and, you know, I have a soft spot for like no name prospects that people have never heard of. So um, that, that all appeals to me a lot. So I, I think I, I look for some sort of player development um, position within, within a baseball okay. team. That would, that would be my answer. All right. I got two more questions before we get to uh, some top contracts and cash and all that good stuff. So uh, the next one is, the Seattle Kraken were named this past uh, summer here and <laughs> expansion has been all over the place right now because of the pandemic and the loss of revenue. MLS has a few teams coming online here in the next few years. NWSL has added a couple teams coming. Uh, NBA has really been in the news because of the how the verbiage of Adam Silver has been. Um, so some, some people are starting to sort of get excited that that might be coming sooner than later. Uh, what do you guys think? Do you think the NBA, the NHL outside of Seattle, Major League Baseball, do you think either of these leagues, including the NFL potentially as well, do you think there's going to be some expansion here within the next five years? And if so, it, what, I don't want to say what city they're going to go to. What city would you like to see an expansion of any of the sports happening. Well, it, it sounds to me like Nashville is all but done for Major League Baseball. So I guess that'd be first, and I like okay. that. I think that's a strong middle middle American market for. Um, look, it went, it's gone real well with hockey. So I think, and the Tennessee Titans as well. So I, I would imagine that would do well for me. And once they add one, they'll add another. I mean, in the plans, right? You you're not going to have an odd number in in the in the. I, I believe Orlando so. was floated, right, Dan? Oh, I haven't heard that actually. I believe I believe. Oh, not another. No, not another <laughs> Florida serious. baseball team. Come yeah, because what I mean, Tampa Bay's been talked about going to Montreal and doing that whole split. I mean, if you're gonna if you're gonna have another Florida team, you might as well just move Tampa yeah, down to and, Orlando. Yeah, and or they want and their their stadium is in St. Pete. Like they don't. Tampa doesn't know what they want to do there. So I mean, Florida right. baseball is just a mess. Please let's not do that. But. I haven't heard that. I'll keep my ears open for that. Yeah, I would guess, Dan, that or uh, Scott, that the NBA is is going to get back to Seattle. And it sounds like Seattle's a top, and then potentially like Las Vegas okay, has come so up a lot. That's, that's where oh, my point was going to be. Look, once once the NFL went there, the, and or excuse me, the NHL first, and it was so damn successful, like immediately, almost like fixed successful right out of the gate, and, and now the Raiders really haven't had their chance to have their day in the sun there yet, but. Uh, now that we know it, it can work, and that's really what what the test was. You know, everybody's partnered with with a casino now. It's that stuff's all coming. There's 27 states with gambling. Like it's it's no longer a hands off situation. I, I think everybody will be in Vegas. There's no reason not to be. Yeah, maybe that's the 30 second baseball team then too, Mike. If they if they can find it, some sort of dome situation there. Um, yeah. Oh, Seattle. To your point, Seattle. There is no city more deserving of any organization, any franchise in pro sports more than Seattle is a basketball team. That was just a travesty what happened to them with the Sonics. And I mean, if you've ever been to Seattle, they are a huge basketball town. So that I vote that that needs to happen sooner than later. Okay. All right, so shifting to the last section here, uh, betting. Um, what what do you hope to see happens in 2021 based on the betting, the fantasy? I know Mike and I have had some offline conversations about some certain things that he's come up with that are pretty interesting. I don't know if he wants to mention them here, but um, is there anything 
that you hope happen in daily fantasy or regular fantasy or, or betting in general? And um, did you fare well this year with the, uh, you know, last minute football players being pulled or, or baseball players being pulled out or games being suspended? Um, where, where are you guys at with the, the betting and the fantasy as we end the year? Lead us off, Dan. Well, I mean, that's a tough question, Scott. <laughs> um, <laughs> in terms of where I'd like to see it go, I, I think the mainstream has done a pretty good job of picking up um, picking up on a lot of the stuff that people want, you know, in-game action, lives, you know, that, that kind of stuff. I, I think they could do a little, like, maybe – more push type stuff um, like on your screen in the game, your fantasy. I mean, there is certain packages like with NFL and um, red zone, all that stuff. You can have like fantasy attached to your team. I would like to see that stuff become a little bit more mainstream, you know, um, people who wouldn't typically go out of their way to purchase something like that. Um, maybe that kind of thing enters your TV screen or your phone more, a little bit more frequently. Hey Dan, are, but you, are you referencing like a whole, a viewing a separate viewing of a game that's built with betting in mind so similar to how we watch horse races on tv um i guess i guess i, I guess i'm just like why am i sta- why am i watching a bills game but staring at my phone for fantasy scores and fantasy stuff like that so if there was a little bit more like in. well that too but i mean <laughs> if there was a little bit more of an interactive um mm-hmm platform i guess that's more mainstream i know this stuff survives out there but that, that's all i'm trying to say is it, fantasy you know your mom's your your mom pays attention to football because of fantasy football or, or your little sisters who, whoever out there listening you all know somebody who likes football because of fantasy sports and only because of their fantasy team so um i would like to see a little bit more mainstream with that kind of thing but um as a year, it was pretty – it was tough, man. Baseball was tough, a ton of last-minute switches, weather-type stuff. Um, a, a lot of the social justice-type things were going on during baseball season two, so there were a ton of variables there. I think fantasy football season-long stuff was a disaster because you had all these games getting moved around. And, you know, do I start Lamar on – you know, he, but he plays Tuesday night and my backup quarterback plays Thursday night and you got to make these kind of, like – really difficult decisions. Um, Baker Mayfield loses all of his wide receivers in four minutes. Right. And what do you do? Do you play them? Do you not play? I mean, there, there's just, there were just so many, I mean, these fantasy sports are so high variance as it is. And then there was just a whole nother layer added into it. So, um, I mean, I, I had, I, I had an okay year. I, I, I would say as a whole, I mean, I, we don't need to get into my um, DeAndre Hopkins takes or anything like that. But um, <laughs> beyond that, I, I learned a lot DFS wise um, season long. I, I've picked up a bunch of really great podcasts I've listened to, which I think have um, helped me as a, as a sports fan and fantasy player. So um, I'm really happy with, you know, progress of the last year here. So we'll, we'll, you know, hopefully a little bit of a more mainstream season next year. will you know, improve things even more. So. So I'm going to piggyback off of Dan versus actually answering you separately, Scott, um, because I think what he touched on is actually extremely interesting. And it has to do with not so much the general network broadcast, right? So if I'm watching Sunday Night Baseball on ESPN, that's one thing. And who knows if that'll even exist in three years. But I'm specifically looking at the NFL package 
that DirecTV currently owns and how that is currently ex- set to expire in about 18 months or so. And the, the, the company that I'm hearing is Amazon. And, and the reason I'm interested, the reason that's piquing my interest so much is because now you're not talking about turning on a television and going to channel 700 anymore. That's not going to be how it's going to work. It's going to be an app that's going to be streamed off of, you know, either a television device or an iPad or something of that, that degree. And you, you have now opened up the opportunity for direct interactivity within that now. Okay. Because it's not a broadcast network television anymore because it's now in a piece of software. You could build a, a betting layer right on top of it. You could be given push notifications directly to it because it's an app. You know, anyone who's watched March Madness on the March Madness app on like an Apple TV or a, or, or a, a you know, a Fire TV, you're getting push notifications on your television saying, hey, there's a nail biter happening, you know, flip here to watch it. And it takes you directly there. It's got like a red zone built into it, essentially, you know, with push notifications. Well, that could be a live betting push notification. That could be, you know, in the middle of a TV timeout, you know, what, what's the next play going to be or who's going to score? You know, is the field goal going to be good? Are they going to return the kickoff or is it going to be a touchback? That kind of stuff can be pushed into our faces and it can be done more so from software versus from network television. And I think where the NFL may be going, and it could be a huge conversation they're having right now is Amazon is Apple is right. They've already dabbled with Facebook. I don't think Facebook wanted to get too big into sports, um, but they certainly had the capability to do something like this as well. But now that these partnerships exist and the leagues are tied to casinos, they now own the data. I mean, you, Scott, you and I know how that works. You know, once you have the data, it's what can we use it with? What can we do with it? So I think this is coming. I think an interactive league pass is coming for pretty much every sport. Yeah, I, I think I think Major League Baseball, the NBA, and the NHL have missed this boat for the last five to seven years because they've had this platform. They have the streaming platform and all they have to do is be able to integrate FanDuel or DraftKings or my ESPN, uh, you know, connection and they can pull this up on my TV or, you know, I'm on my phone and I'm having to toggle between uh, FanDuel and what I'm watching on my phone. And thank you to Apple for updating so I could do picture in picture and I can have FanDuel run behind this, the, the video now. But before you'd have to swipe right, left, back and forth, go everywhere to, you know, if you're on your phone or out and about, you can't just watch and see your stats update in real time. So I think Major League Baseball and NHL and NBA, they have the platform already. They're missing a huge boat with the with the connection between the fantasy or even the odds itself in there, you know, real time, uh, what's going to happen. And, and DraftKings has a live flash draft where you can draft, you know, two minutes before the third quarter or fourth right. quarter, and you can and draft instantly for that. If that was built right into the platform, I'm watching, you know, the Bills against whoever that you're watching that Chiefs game, and oh, that's their our flash right now. Bet bet your daily fantasy flash right now while you're watching the game. Um, I, I think that is a, an aspect that all these leagues have missed a huge swing and a miss as far as not not implementing that aspect right now. 
Also, I just want to add this. It's not, it's not necessarily betting related, but it goes to this general concept that all, all sports fans right now are way more engaged and intelligent than they ever have been before, whether that's analytics or wh- whatever they're doing, they're paying attention and they're smarter than they ever have been. And a long-term hope of mine is that these, if they shift away, like Mike says, from national broadcasts, these these broadcast teams have got to be better and they have got to adapt to the current state of what we're dealing with now. And, right. you know, if that's adding an, an analytical mind into these already established booths of Joe Buck and Troy Aikman, I mean, not even, they're not even terrible, but you know what I'm trying to say? We need somebody there to correctly explain why when you're down 15, you go for a two point conversion at, after the first touchdown that you scored instead of the second mm-hmm. touchdown, like they, we make these like tiny little reference national broadcasts make these tiny references to them, but typically they're in a joking manner or they completely get the information wrong. And it's really doing a disservice to like the smart sports fans who are out there. So in general, I, I would like to see that like for an inst for, for example, Mike, the Mets broadcast, you constantly are talking to me about how you learn something. You're like, why DeGrom threw a fastball after he just threw a slider or what, or whatever it might be. But Ron Darling teaches you something every broadcast. In many broadcasts, I listen to a lot of baseball when I'm walking my dogs or, or just flipping through channels, whatever it might be. Many of the broadcasts are very poor and they're very archaic minds that are, you know, giving this information. So that's a long-term goal. I hope that that improves here in the next few years and people start, you know, they start with betting and fantasy being so prevalent that they start introducing these kinds of people into that more often. So, yeah, I, I agree with that because, you know, the, the, the education behind it, I, I got really into NASCAR this year. I was a very casual, knew who the guys were um, beforehand, but this year I, I made it a goal for my 2020 to learn something new about NASCAR. And I really got into it and my son got into it as well. And I I was blown away at the education that they would do. I mean, they were explaining pit stops and they were explaining, um, you know, why they would go on the outside versus inside and how the track temperature varied in the shadows and not the education was phenomenal. Um, But I think one thing that, all these broadcasts are maybe going towards or within the league pass or anything like that is what we saw with the NFL draft where ABC did an NFL draft aspect and then ESPN had it. But I think we may see where you're going to target two different audiences. Okay. So maybe I was just about to go there, Scott. Scott, that's a great point. So it, let me ask you, let me turn this back on you. Cause Dan, I, I'm interested to get your thought on this too, but Scott specifically, you watching NASCAR for, you know, really the first time, maybe on a regular basis, you know, there's people that have watched for 40 years and I'm not sure that they care that they've learned a thing. Do you understand what I'm saying? And yep. let's put it out there. We're in maybe the most split time as a country ever. Right? I mean, it's, there couldn't be more of a, of a division between, you know, a certain type of person versus another certain type of person. Is that where we're going? Like, Dan, I was I wasn't joking when I said, you know, do we have to have like a horse or horse betting, a horse racing television broadcast of a football because there's an audience of people for that. But then everyone else would hate that. 
You know what right, I mean? No, I, so I misunderstood what you you were trying to say there, and I totally agree that this and it, it's the be, it's better than my point where I'm asking every broadcast to be better, whereas yeah. maybe we just single out there's one network that provides that or, and that's where the people who are interested in analytics gravitate towards and the people who just want to see the run established will, you know, yeah, because watch, I think <laughs> watch the usual I, ones. So, because I think what would be interesting is, you know, for anyone that's into the stats or the gambling or anything, they could have a separate view or, you know, even if it was a streaming service on wherever, you know, show me the win probability in real time yeah. of the swing of things, or what is the probability of on a third down, it's going to be a pass versus a run versus whatever it might be. Or in baseball, you know, a runner's on second, what's the probability uh, that it's, you know, a three, two count that they're going to go to opposite field, or it's going to be a home run or anything like that. You know, the, the education of the betting uh, is huge because, you know, some people are afraid to get in it because they don't know it. Some of them just get in it and they'll throw their money because it's the thing that they're going to do. But if the education of the betting, in addition to the sport itself, that's going to take everybody to the next level. Yeah. And I, I think that's one of the things that are missing and whether they make it as, you know, a streaming service that you have to pay for, or it's live on, you know, if it's Fox that gets the rights to that and you have to go to the Fox sports app to watch it. I think, I think it's something that the networks should, should look into and go down the, the risk path of it. Because I think, you know, with the, with, the year that we had right now and, and everything that has happened as far as loss of revenue, we've seen ESPN have to make gigantic cuts, not just them, but other sports reporting areas. They've had to make these cuts. A, that's a technology where there's so many technology jobs out there that you're going to be able to bring in those kind of um, uh, jobs in a different avenue. You're going to be able to bring in those analytic uh, you know, amateur analytic aspects of all these different numbers that are being ran. But if, if, if you can implement that with the education, I think people would love that because they love seeing the stories of this player and their family and, and, and the, the yeah. tragedy that they've had to overcome. If the education of the betting side and the fantasy and the stats, you know, as Dan dives in, I mean, he's asking, I know Mike, you and me, different stats and, and he goes to fan graphs and baseball reference. And there's so many baseball stats that you can't even understand them anymore. What the abbreviation is. So again, that education I think would be absolutely huge in taking everything to the next level. So let me, let me right, simplify. in football, I, I mean, football. If you if you're explaining what an A gap is and a B gap, and somebody is fluent in that and can then go out into the real world and talk with their friends about that, and I mean, bet, betting people or DFS or fantasy people are some of the most well informed and smartest people in the sports industry. And I know it gets kind of laughed at a lot, but they they know how to break down and analyze game film and pick up trends within games and things like that. So I, I, I 100% agree with your idea, your, both your ideas saying like maybe it's ESPN and ESPN Deportes and ESPN gambling and the right. gambling feed is more geared towards that kind of thing. And and that, that would be awesome. Yeah. So, slam dunk. Simple question. So by 2022, let's give it a full year. 
We'll, we'll, will we be clicking on a game on our ESPN Plus app and we'll have to select which broadcast we want? I, I vote no. I mean, I want it, but is it going to happen? I think no. Now, I, I, mean, I don't think we're quite there yet. Yeah, I'm a no as well. I think they might do it with Monday Night Football. I think you start small, and they'll, they'll they're going to need to shake that up again here soon. I think because a couple, of, I think they're going to shake up that. And, and that's a that's the thing that I have a hard time with Mike though is is just putting little pieces into it is not going to keep somebody captivated. But if every if it's being reiterated on every drive and every you know every the fifth drive of the game, no damn. First yeah, down, what I'm saying is I think the, they're going to have a separate broadcast of Monday Night Football that is strictly built into the the analytics and the gambling and the fantasy. Gotcha. Fair. That is a good point. Yes. I think think they may put Monday Night Football on ABC to give the feel-good audience a chance at the natural broadcast. And I think they've got whatever other channels they want, whether that's ESPN Plus, the premium services, whether it's ESPN2, whatever they want to do, they can bring now your your field Yates and those kind of guys right to the, the broadcast and they'd literally be going play by play with deeper analysis from that standpoint. To me they're set up perfectly to do it. They've got maybe the most important game. It's a singular game. You can you can do trial and error with it and see how it goes. They kind of do this with the college football playoff. I think we're going to see this Thursday, right? They do a couple of broadcasts. Uh, and uh, so there's, but it's not a gambling thing. It's like a, who are you cheering for kind of thing. If you want to see the Clemson, you know, broadcast versus the Ohio state broadcast. So they've dabbled in a multi-broadcast setting, but they've got to get this aspect into it. It's got to be, it, to me, it's one of the biggest things that's, it already did take huge steps forward this year, but now with leagues needing money, this is a no brainer. I mean, my God, go get it. It's right there for your taking. Yeah, and some of the you're going to have a set of fans that don't want to see in your face betting or the odds or the over under or any of that stuff. It's going to turn some fans off real quick because they don't care, don't want to see that stuff. So having that second broadcast, you know, and you're right, ESPN they need to take some risks because they of what they've had to, you know, cut from their. Uh, you know, yeah, but staffing. Scott, imagine, imagine. I know you're a big NBA league pass guy. They call it league pass. Is that what it is? I can't get all the names yep, right. Center ice, league, whatever the hell it is. So imagine you're watching league pass <laughs> on whatever your Apple TV, and you have the option to to toggle it on or off as you wish. So yeah. hey, I bet this, I bet this Wizards game tonight. I want to see as much gambling information as I can while I watch this thing, it, because we're going software based. That's going to be doable. You're going to be able to, you know, toggle on a box score, toggle on a gambling score, toggle on your fan duel, whatever the, the partnerships that they have. You know what I mean? Because we're going software based, this is all going to become a reality. Yeah, I, I agree with that. But from the education standpoint, some of those broadcasters aren't going to know that information. I think Dan was sort of alluding to that. So well, it, yes, exactly like, I, oh, sorry, Scott. Go ahead. I was going to say, yeah, you may have to have a second um a second broadcast team, or if not go to a red zone type thing, but it's one person talking about them. The, the thing that I think, I think would get lost is if you do the overlay, you know, as Dan said, explaining the a gap or the B gap, it, it's not going to happen on, you know, a normal broadcast. Whereas if you go to an actual analytical betting, whatever you would call it, 
red zone feature, then that person can get really in depth or those people, mm-hmm. whoever would be in there and really get into depth of what that is because it, just spouting out, oh, they, they hit the A gap and then you're like, well, what is the A gap? Or if you have young kids that are watching it, they're probably asking you, hey, what's the A gap? And you don't even know. And then you have to go research it anyways. They're missing that boat. And But I don't think you can, the broadcasters that we have may not be well-versed in the betting and the statistical aspects as opposed to, you know, calling the game that they have to. It might be too much to integrate both. I think NASCAR, it, it, it just works out that they're able to educate on the fly because of how constant it is. And they're, you know, there's so much motion there. They're, they're, there's, there's the break in, in commercials, but they just do it so seamlessly. Whereas in NFL, I, I just feel like that aspect with the gambling and the betting and, and some of the crazy stats that they have, same with baseball, that it may get lost in translation to See, the, uh, the the layman. Scott, you made my point exactly. It doesn't even need to be packaged as this is gambling information. It really just needs to be presented as this is valuable, interesting information. And, and you're right. There's some people that will get together on Sunday with their friends and just pound, you know, dip and drink beers and watch the football game. And they don't care about any te- in-game tendencies of the defense, right? Those people you're not trying to cater to. I'm talking about somebody, you know, Steve, where Warren Sharp is in the booth providing color commentary next yep. to Steve Levy after every single play. And it's not even like, oh, well, you know, it's a three-point spread. This would, uh, you know, get it to within five. And then from there, they can kick a field goal. And then they only need another field. You know, they don't even need to break things down like that. They just need to present, package it and present it as in, like, this is what happened. This is play action. This is what happens. And this is how you run play action. And this is when it's successful or here's the tendency of it. Not you know, like in the game, the color commentary at this point should just be analytical information and not these well, like, like we get these, like, you know, Deandre Hopkins, mom is blind. Like we get those stories all before the game that I don't really necessarily need to see that stuff during the game. Do you know what I'm trying to say? That sounds that probably sounds yeah. kind of coarse, but no, no, no. And that's a, I think to my point as well, I, I think the other thing with the NFL is they could do a better job of integrating it seamlessly where, you know, before they go to a commercial, if it's a, say it's a, a field goal and they cut to commercial because of a timeout, they could say, Oh, the percentage of this or the, the, the odds of this, or coming out of the commercial, you know, if they do it before going into the commercial, that gives people time to get on their device and, right. and, and bet and, and add that player or whatever they need to do. And then coming out of the break, they can do whatever I, they'll cut to, you know, former referees for 10 seconds to give their take. And then you never see them again. They could do the exact same thing with like Mike said, field Yates or whoever, Warren Sharp, you know, cut to them 10 seconds. This is the win. If they score on this, the probability of them winning this game goes up to 75%. If they, if they miss this field goal, it'll drop to this. And then, you know, they could have something where if you want more information or you want to follow this certain person, go to this streaming area. But the fact that they're, they're, they're integrating it, they're telling people that it exists, but they have this same person, instead of giving them 10 seconds on air, 
they're actually running live in their separate stream for the entire block. So you're, you're overlapping, but you're integrating everything together for those that want it and those that don't. Right. But and right now it's presented as a sideshow, which does us all Correct. a disservice, which sucks. Right. So, yeah, it's going to, it's going to change because there's money to be made. And whenever there's money to be made, you, uh, you change accordingly. All right, let's uh, let's quickly run down some of our numbers here from 2020. It was a weird year. <laughs> it was uh, very weird year. I'm uh, Scott. I'll take it. I'll take the lead, and then I'll I'll kick it off to you again. Dan, I'm going to pose the question to you. Tom Brady has been the number one player viewed on Spot Track for three consecutive years. Who was the number one player viewed on Spot Track in 2020? Oh, good God. Um, You've only got about no. 98,000 to guess from. Can you Don't ask your next it. question while I think about this for a second? No, nah, it's not. It's pretty obvious. Um, LeBron? I don't know. LeBron is number two. Hmm. We've talked about him quite a bit today. Yes. Michael Jordan? No. Oh. The new $450 million man. Pat Mahomes. Mm-hmm. New That's leader crazy. in the clubhouse, huh, Scott? Was it close? Yes. Oh, no, not even close. Not no. even close. No. So the contract just completely led the year, huh? In terms of it and I mean, I did an entire show on it. It was, it was complicated. It's big. It's huge. We didn't even have that conversation, but we're going to have it soon, of course, with these long contracts because I've... I'm circling back to those again now with more baseball contracts coming in and we'll get there eventually. Um, I got no qualms with that. He's a heck of an athlete. He's a heck of a kid already. I just hope they win. I hope everything I said today is rendered completely moot and they win the the damn thing again in two months uh, because they've certainly invested, you know, like I say, recklessly, but good for him. Uh, you know, cashing in and I'm sure he's making similar numbers from state farm and all those other, you know, wherever we see him plenty, not as much as Baker Mayfield, but we see him plenty. And uh, here's your top five. It's pretty chalk. Actually, do you have the fifth there, Scott? I don't want to screw that up. Yeah, that is correct. Patrick Mahomes, LeBron James, there's Tom Brady at number three after three straight years at the top. Giannis is four. Carson Wentz, number five. Yeah, I had to double. Wentz. I had to double check that this morning. I was like, so it's, it's bad you, times he's been in there. Philly. Yeah. yeah, I mean, we got a lot of players in Spot Track, and if you're top five, something either went really, really right or really, really wrong. Couple, I'll admit, a couple of those searches are me. So, <laughs> <laughs> all right, Scott, take it away with the teams. Yeah, so it's pretty chalk here as well. Um, these are the these are the usual suspects. They are every year. Dan, you want to take a guess at the top team uh, most viewed this year? Lakers. It was the Lakers. Yeah, Lakers number one, followed by the Chiefs, the Patriots, the Cowboys, and then the Dodgers. Always the Cowboys. Is somebody <laughs> going to tell the rest of America that they haven't been good for forever? I mean, forever. <laughs> I mean, it's ridiculous. Dak didn't even get paid. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, it's crazy. Uh, and look, they're going to be good next year. So they're going to be right back on this list in 2021. There's no question about it. But, 
you know, what happens to the Patriots? That's probably the one that stands out on this list right now, right? Because they're going to have cap space. They're going to change the quarterback. They're going to change the running back. They're going to change the wide receiver. They're going to change the tight end. They're going to change the starting cornerback. Gilmore's going to be gone. I mean, it's going to be massive overhaul. Is this Bel- Dan, does Belichick stay or stick around for this? Wow, that's a great question. Um, I think, yeah. I think, yeah. I think there's a solid chance Josh McDaniels is the, is the coach next year. Really? And, and what, what yeah. is that? Where does that leave Belichick, though? A new team or retiring? Yeah, I think you just walk away. So um, why why don't you walk away last year then? That that's my point. Is like what like what if it was a point of contention that I want to do this without Tom or Brady wants to do this without Belichick? Then why are you walking away when you basically have a you know a trash team? Even if all the COVID guys played this year, they okay. Weren't. That was going to be my point because there were some. I mean, there were some serious opt outs, and that happened certainly later in the game. You know, much after he just he Belichick made his decision. Um, I wonder, I wonder if, you know, if somebody hands him a piece of paper that says, Hey, we want you back, but you're not going to have Dante Hightower. You're not going to have Patrick Chung. You know, you're not going to have obviously your usual QB one. Sony Michelle is going to miss the half the year. Nikhil Harry is going to catch seven balls. You know what I mean? Like in hindsight, nothing went right. And, but they did kind of find a new running back, right? Uh, to some degree. I, your, your question is totally valid. Why wouldn't he have left before? he just seems really damn frustrated right now. Like, like really, really to the point of I got to walk away from this thing or I'm going to do or say something stupid. That's that to me where I feel like he is from a mental standpoint. So why not just hand it over to McDaniels and let him rebuild with, you know, a quarterback that he wants to pick. Well, I love that. Cause I don't think any of the three of us think Josh McDaniels is a very good coach. So <laughs> <laughs> if he wants to take the reins there for the next X years. I'm, Although it's I'm, probably going to be Garoppolo going back there. So let's bury that hatchet right now. No, All right, Scott, what else? What else you got for us? Uh, we got some top cash earners this year. So, you know, NFL, we had Russell Wilson at 53 million, NBA Chris Paul at 41 million, Mookie Betts, 75 million, um, Austin Matthews, Toronto Maple Leafs, 15.9 million. And then we, we've added some other uh, aspects in this year, like you said, off the top here. We've added some NASCAR, some Formula One, uh, some PGA, LPGA, some tennis in, in, in those aspects. Formula One, Lewis Hamilton made $60 million. In yeah, Formula if you know One anything about car racing, uh, this dude is ridiculous. He is. The races are on at like 6 a.m. Eastern time, so you got to wake up with some coffee to watch it. But first of all, the races are awesome to watch because uh, the cars are ridiculous. And this dude is the Tom Brady of form of Formula One. Uh, he, is. he is an absolute stud. He wins almost every week. It's crazy. He does. Yeah. And and there's questions if he'll be back next year or not right now. So it'll be interesting to see. Retirement? Is. Uh, I don't know. Retirement or go somewhere else or what it might be. But I mean, there's been talks of that huh. happening. Um but yeah, $60 million for him. Yeah, and you're right. The, I, I watch some races when I can in the morning. The, the technology that that mm-hmm. they have is unbelievable. They have the overlay of the, the crossbar. And, you know, talk about technology. It's, say, you know, that crossbar, the halo, they call it. You know, it saved uh, Grosjean from, from death in that fire. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you guys saw that, but 
you know, 60 million for Lewis Hamilton. And then um, NASCAR came out this week as far as top earners in NASCAR for 2020. Kyle Busch was at 17.8 million and that's including endorsements and prize earnings and salaries. So that's all in for him. And then uh, Justin Thomas, 17, uh, seven, excuse me, 7.3 million. And then a LPGA golfer from Korea, South Korea, $1.67 million. And then WNBA rounds us off here, $215,000. So hopefully in the next few years here, we can see those salaries get even higher for WNBA and any of those other female sports that we've started adding. Hey, Dan, Mookie Betts has 12 years left in his contract. I got to bring this back into the conversation. How many of those years is he actually playing for the Dodgers? Uh, I mean, that's an, that's that's an arbitrary question. How many years is that? Is he still valuable on that deal? Uh, I mean, I think the over under is seven and a half, right? I mean, what would you take there? Yeah. So he'd be 35. That's probably right. Seven. I I mean, he's still not earning what he's earning, you know, as a player right now. I mean, the speed falls off. His defense probably falls off. That's, that's why these uh, don't even get me going. No, that, don't that's get my, me started. That, that's my 2021 <laughs> wish is that baseball eliminates term and focuses on financial dollars. But that's another conversation. Um, yeah, I, I I mean, no, 100% no, he's not there at the end of that, that contract. I mean, the Dodgers have too much money that they won't sit on that and they'll find a way to get out of it and probably be right. better off for it in 10 years from okay. now. So, all right, let's, I'll pose this both to you then who is more likely to be traded first. Harper. Mookie Betts or Mike Trout. Harper. <laughs> or Mike. Tr- <laughs> or Trout. I think Harper goes maybe this year. Okay. I think Philly's, I still, I said it a couple, couple shows back. I think Philly is going to, they're going to break this thing down. I really do. I think there's been rumors. They're, they're going to trade their pitching staff. I, I, I think that the Dombrowski coming in there, he's got that money ball aspect to him. I, I, I'm telling you, he wants nothing to do with a 13-year contract, and I don't, I don't blame him. I, I think there's a really good chance Harper goes. Maybe not this year, but before any of those guys go, let's put it that way. Okay. I, I, I'd say Betts gets traded, just but I have no real like inclination on that. I only say that because – the Angels only have Mike Trout, and what are you going to do once you get yeah. rid of him, right? And the Dodgers have prospects to, to fill in. I mean, oh, my God. The, Do- the Dodgers could probably trade their top three players right now and still win three divisions in, in the league. I, I bet that. The Dodgers um, have enough prospect power to uh, to acquire Mike Trout. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Oh, easily. I mean, there's, there's a reason, like, to your point earlier, Mike, about money coming off the books. There's a reason they've been – in on Lindor and in on Chris Bryant, potentially like, I mean, maybe that never happens and nothing comes of it, but there's a reason they're even in on those deals and it's because they can afford it and they have the prospect capital to get there. So speaking of, I'm going to give a 2020 shout out and a, and a cheers to Albert Pujols, who is going to be in his final year. Yes. For those of you non-baseball people, Albert Pujols is still under contract and still playing Paul, he's 41 years old. He's going to make $30 million this year. The final year of his contract. He's got career earnings on Albert Pujols. Cue the music. Oh. Um, let's go with 275, no. 275 million. No. 
Mm. Way over, right? Yep. Oh, I'll, say, I'll say five, five, fifteen. No, no, you're not I there. Knew, Split the difference. After yeah, this year, runs. after the contract is done, 340. 340. And man, the last eight years were no good. I mean, salvageable to some degree, but God. Yeah, man, that makes doesn't that make you feel old though? Does it doesn't oh, yeah. it seem like we are just saying, man, he will never see the end of that contract? Like I thought I'd be <laughs> dead by the time he finished that deal, and here we are, man. We're here. <laughs> I mean, he 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 dates back to the Barry Bonds situation. You know? My, yeah. my my goodness. Yeah, we're all old, and he's definitely old, but he's making 30 million and we're not. So let's put it that way. Cheers to Albert Pujols. Final year. Yes. What else you got for us, Scott? Let's wrap it up here. Oh, uh, let's see. We've got uh, some quick contracts of the year. Um, got Mookie Betts, 12 year, 365 million. Um, I mean, it's hard not to when they win, you know, I mean, yeah. that's gotta be the best baseball contract. If you, you didn't give up much to acquire him, you paid him, you know, the going rate and you won the world series. So how, how can you disagree? Right, Dan? Yeah, it's on my money, right? So, the deal was good. He's a phenomenal player. It pushed him over the top. Just in terms of the raw deal, when you look at it, the, yeah. the term is ridiculous. Yeah, we'll yeah. get there. We'll, we'll have a we'll have like a psychological show soon and talk about these long term <laughs> contracts and how we have to change baseball to a hard salary cap. Don't worry, it's just an hour we'll of me there. tilting. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, I I kind of did, did these, so I'll drive here. Dan, do you agree with this? The worst contract of 2020 in Major League Baseball, Madison Bumgarner, five years, 85 million to Arizona, a team that like a day after signing him decided to trade away everybody. Yeah, pretty, pretty bad. And that was predictably bad. We knew that was, I mean, before he left San Francisco, we knew he wouldn't uh, be worth whatever deal he signed. But it's so, like yep. internally they, they said, oh, we're, we're buyers. Let's let's go get ourselves a starting pitcher because we're, we're in this year. And then literally the next day they decided, you know what? I don't think we're that good. Let's just well, yeah, in our in our baseball preview, we couldn't figure out if they were going to actually deal Robbie Ray solely because of that deal. You know, like they bring in Starling Marte and then they bring in Bumgarner and it's like, and it's you know, funny because there's no way you're selling at this point. And then they sell like a month into the season. <laughs> and, and maybe it's just me kind of getting more included into this stuff. But I feel like we just had the exact same thing happen with the Carolina Panthers who we sit down and they're the odds favorite to be the number one pick. And then they sign Teddy Bridgewater and they sign, you know, Robbie Anderson. And they, they're all of a sudden now they're, they're a viable offense. Then Luke Keekley retires and, and, and all these things happen like in complete yin and yang of each other. And then Scott, I'd say the same thing about the Detroit Pistons or maybe even the Pelicans. Like you've got these two pieces. Then you add Steven Adams to Zion Williamson, but you're also trading four players away here, including Drew holiday, your starting playmaker, like be something don't, don't be in the middle. That's like, you know, it's like in football, don't be eight and eight. There's no reason to be eight and eight anymore. I mean, unless you're in the NFC East, you'd be have a two, two game lead, but I, uh, there's just been in every single sport, there's been probably one or two teams that have done this. They've, they've like changed their approach internally in the middle of an off season or in the middle of a season. And there could be nothing more detrimental from a business standpoint. It's just the worst. Like, what do you do with Bridgewater? You know, if you're talking about 2021 storylines, what do they do if they've got the number three pick in Carolina, but they've got Bridgewater guaranteed next year and half guaranteed in 2022 and McCaffrey's guaranteed for three more years? What, what do you do with that organization? You know what I mean? Bridgewater's not good enough to keep long term, but he's okay. 
Dan, any thoughts? Um, yeah, I'd say that's basically purgatory. They're really not getting much better and you're not really gutting it to get any worse. So, um, I, I like Teddy Bridgewater. I just don't know. Is that team really like set up to go for it? If they add like a prime defensive end in the draft at the number three pick, or is that going to really change things there? So, um, yeah. Right. I, and that's probably what they're going to do, Dan, but then, but is having Teddy Bridgewater stopping them from drafting a quarterback of the future? You know what I well, mean? Exa- exactly. That should never let it happen. And that's what I mean when these teams, you know, are going to let draft capital or a, you know, somebody. And he, I mean, but Teddy Bridgewater shouldn't, he's a solid quarterback. I like him, but is yeah. he, should he really be blocking you from making a, you know, an organizational improving move? No, definitely not. Yeah. And, it's a real modern discussion because I think the Miami Dolphins are going to have the exact same conversation, Dan. They're going to have the number four pick and they've been benching Tua. So, you know, you've got to be able to look out there and say, Hey, maybe, maybe, maybe they're going to take another quarterback, you know, and pull the Arizona Cardinals situation all over again. So Mike, do you think these middle going forward, are these middle-class quarterbacks, let's call them where you're kind of just signing them to buy you some time and figure out what's next. Do we just start signing those guys to one year deals? You know, like they've already started. It seems like teams are backing them. Looks stupid when you talk about Jameis Winston and Cam Newton, right? right? And Andy exactly. That's what I mean. They're, they're backing themselves into this corner and then now they're going to make moves based off of that. And it's, it just seems backwards. It's like, it's like hiring, you know, it's like hiring a, you know, firing your GM, but keep keeping your coach or vice versa. However, yeah. you want to split that up. You know, yeah, exactly. it, it just seems backwards. Right. Don't be in the middle. Don't be caught in the middle. Either go left or go right. You have to do it. Scott, I got to get your thoughts on what I picked as the best NBA contract of 2020. Yeah. You know, I, I saw that. And at first I was like, oh, interesting. But I can't. I, well, tell the people I who can't it say is. not. <laughs> Markel Fultz. Yeah. And at drafted. three years, 50, three years, $50 million. And you know what? Good for him because, you know, he drafted by Philly. Everyone said he had so many issues there. Dan, and this guy, treated I'm, to I'm sure you don't know this story, Dan. This Atlanta. guy got the yips, like the legitimate, he couldn't shoot a free throw. It, it, he would airball it. Was, it. it would, yeah, it was real bad. Like he got so into his head and so overwhelmed by the NBA situation. And I'm not sure if he had personal things going on as well, but he, he literally got the yips. He was the number one overall pick. Is that right? Number one. Yeah. Yep. Number one overall pick and was basically useless to Philadelphia. And they ended up flipping him for, you know, a late first and a player. And he goes to Orlando and in the magic of Disney, I don't know, but he's, he's like a, legit above average point guard now trending toward really, really good. And he just got himself $50 million guaranteed, which the reason I made it my best contract was not only because of that, like, you know, the improvement part of it, but if he becomes like a fringe all NBA playmaker, this is going to be one of the best value contracts for the next three years in all of the, the whole league. So it's got a chance to work for everybody. And it's just kind of an incredible story, honestly. Yeah, it is that player development that I keep talking about every episode. I feel like, <laughs> you know, he goes to Orlando and they're able to turn around what Philadelphia wasn't able to do. And again, you know, it goes to the organization and the investment that you want. Philadelphia obviously didn't want to invest in that 
in that process because they've they've gone different route. They've got Simmons and Embiid, but they've had so many other, you know, first or top three picks that haven't worked out, and they've had to move on from them. And Orlando has two of them, Michael Carter Williams and and Fultz. And Fultz is working out really game busters right now, and locking him up at sixteen and a half million a year right now. That you're right, that could be a steal. Sure. Um, some of these extensions that we're seeing with these these players coming out of their rookie contracts are, uh, you know, th- that is where you're getting your value. That was Giannis at his $100 million. That was Steph Curry at the four-year $44 million. And now, you know, Fultz could be that player. I mean, he he is a legit – if you're doing fantasy, he's a legit user uh, – starter to yeah. use. In, and if it works out, Orlando has a core there that is, is working out really well. They're 4-0, one of two teams that are undefeated still, and they have guys that they have put investment in, and it is working. And um, yeah, not max investment either. They're 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 kind of working that Tampa Bay Rays model where they they, yep. they know they have a chance to, to contend here to, to some degree in the East, but they're not going thirty five million a year with these guys. They're 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 understanding that they can go in at fifteen to twenty percent less for those kind of players. And it's working out to some degree. All right, quickly. Cause I don't think there's any argument. I picked three bad contracts in the NBA. One that was from last season, L Horford. There's absolutely no arguing it. It was terrible. One <laughs> yeah, that yeah. happened this free agency, Gordon Hayward. We had an entire show on it. It's terrible. Even if he's good. And then one that starts next year, which pff, it's Rudy Gobert, who I know is a topical name for 2020 as, as you know, alone, but he got a max extension, a near max extension, right, Scott? Near With max incentives yes. and well, all those, you know, a player option and all that, all that. But that Jazz team might not be good. And Keith Smith on this show last week said this. He said that is a team I don't like where anything's trending for that team. And I know he still thinks that. I've seen it on Twitter. So we're going to have him back, you know, as the season progresses a little bit more here. But it's a bad start for Utah. And if they that extension hasn't even kicked in yet. So that could be a devastating situation for Utah. Dan, let's flip to the NFL quickly. Uh, This one's going to surprise you. My best contract in the NFL is a running back. (laughs) Can you guess which one? Probably somebody cheap. Um, No, no. No. He didn't max out. He didn't max out, but he got good money. But he has outkicked the coverage, man. He's going to win the rushing title. Delvin Cook, Dan. Wow. 12.6 million a year. Absolute fantasy monster. Um, As I'm sure you know, he was basically the easy flex option for every DFS lineup on a weekly basis. Um, You know, that was the number we wanted from. We wanted him about 12 and a half in terms of our, our valuation for where the running back should live, which is 4 million less than Christian McCaffrey. So if you're doing the math and if McCaffrey's healthy, how much better is McCaffrey than Delvin Cook was this year? I, I don't know that it's 4 million. You know what I mean? So Delvin Cook is an is a incredible value and he's guaranteed for another year and a half, maybe even two uh, I expect this to look better and better now for the next two years. How can it not? I mean, he's not 30, 
you know, and I know Le'Veon Bell fell off a cliff, but I, you know, I'm not sure that Delvin Cook will. Yeah, and according to our 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 true value system that we have, Delvin Cook is number three valued, and with a AAV of twelve point of all running backs. So, so it's what James all, Robinson. Who else? We got Nick Chubb, then Aaron Jones, and then Delvin Cook at number three. Well, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh, maybe a coaching change would be my only thing, but yeah, I love Dalvin cook. He's young. He, I mean, he's got kind of like this injury prone label cause he's had a few little nicks here and there in the, over the last couple of years. But um, yeah, I, I, I like the player and that offense runs through him and that coaching staff is committed to him. So as long as that coaching staff's in place, I think it's a good uh, point, Dan, it's a really good point. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, any, any contract in the league, you know, any position player, that contract can change drastically based on new personnel change. So just to point that out, but yeah, as long as they're there. Um, I, I have to ask this though, Dan, because that and devil's advocate to that point is, is the offense being geared around Delvin cook because he's been paid similar such conversation to McCaffrey. There, well, there was, a, well, maybe, there was a stretch run there where the Panthers ripped off like three straight wins when McCaffrey was out. And I think it has to do with the fact that they changed themselves into a passing offense which is where the league is for, for, for the most part. So, uh, you know, is it Delvin Cook's money that's, that's holding back Minnesota or is it the coaching staff in general? I mean, it's a, it's a great question and that's a chicken or the egg thing. I mean, like Derrick Henry, Zeke Elliott, in theory, good, good running backs. But when you're committed to giving more touches to your running back, is that in right. theory good for your offense when this is now a passing league dominated by quarterbacks, you know, like maybe Ryan Tannehill is an elite quarterback that is being sort of hidden because we give Derrick Henry the ball 30 times a game, you know? So yeah. um, it, it's a good point. I, I guess I bring up the coaching change. Um, you know, they, they've been committed to giving him a ton of touches, but if something were to change there, or Kirk Cousins, and you know, that situation changes and you bring in a quarterback that is now throwing, you know, not, now you can throw it to Justin Jefferson and whoever's there beyond Adam Thielen, you know what I mean? But um, yeah, otherwise, right now, it's a, it's a good deal. I, I can't complain for sure. All right, I'm going to give everybody homework for my worst NFL contract of the 2020. It is the top 10 NFL free agent signings of this past offseason. So go to our tracker. Sort it by contract value. Um, you'll see what I mean. It's all pretty ugly stuff. If you if you kind of compare that to, you know, the, the, the winningness of their current team, their individual production, you know, their pro football focus grade, whatever you want to do, any way you kind of slice it. And, you know, if you were paid highly in free agency this year, it didn't probably didn't go as well as you wanted it to go. Um, and oh, by the way, that's kind of a trend. So uh, hockey quickly. Dan, Scott, feel free to chime in. I gave the Nikita Kucherov contract as the best contract, even though it hasn't started yet. And he's going to miss the entire year because he just had surgery literally literally an hour ago. Uh, but it's nine and a half million a year for a guy who's 100 points, you know, good for 100 points maybe in his best years. They just won the Stanley Cup. You know, they're trying to continue on. They got a, they got a really good price on keeping Steven Samkos and they get another really good price here on Kucherov. So good, good GM work from Tampa Bay. That's a team that should continue. Maybe, maybe takes a step back this year, but should come right back in 2021. Um, and here we go, man. Long contracts. Let's not get into it. But the San Jose Sharks were the worst team in their division last year, 29, 36, and 5. And they gave a defenseman eight years and $92 million in Eric Carlson. 
I get it. He's he's a legend, possibly a Hall of Famer. I, he's great, but he's not 22, <laughs> and he's a defenseman. And you gave him eight years and 92 million. So, and you're not good. You're not even in a window where this makes sense. So, uh, to me, everything about this contract is negative. It's going to get traded eventually, maybe even sooner than later if they're not good this year. But there were just too many red flags not to point out that one. Scott, give us a couple of questions. We'll get out of here. Uh, what do you hope happens uh, in the next five years of sports? Pick one thing, whether it's a, a CBA change, baseball, yeah. or you know something with fantasy that we've talked about. What's one thing in the next five years that you want to happen? Yeah, I'm not going to give a popular answer with a lot of people, but it's you know with with the exception of the NFL, I want hockey, basketball, and baseball regular seasons to cut down ten to twelve games minimum, ten to twelve games, but that's not likely and probably not popular. Dan? Yeah. I've I've talked a lot about this already, but <clears throat> the baseball length term term length of contracts, it's just got to change. It's it's ruining baseball. We're seeing the financials of baseball break this year. Um, I think that is something that's, it's just got to change long-term. These 10-year deals have to be a thing of the past. So, Anything else, Scott? Last one. We saw the documentary with uh, uh, Michael Jordan and uh, some other aspects that came out. We did a career earnings section there in the middle of the, the pandemic here. If there's, and on top of it, we're in a generation right now where we're, we've got goats all over. We got LeBron, we got Tom Brady, we've got, you know, you name it, Giannis, um, Trout. Yep. Is there a, if, if there was one documentary or one book or autobiography that you could pick based on all of the goats or players or whatever right now, who would it be? It, to me, it's super easy. It's Tiger Woods for all of it. I want to know everything I can find out from age four to, <laughs> to 45, well, and there, like uh, everything. And, there, and there's that HBO. I think there's a HBO documentary coming out. So yeah, mm -hmm. you're right. That'll definitely be interesting. Yeah. Dan, what do you think? I am going to give you two answers. One is Mike's secondary answer that we've talked about a thousand times, but I know you're dying for the Peyton Manning definitely. tell all book. Mm -hmm. So that is one. I think we all just want to know the inner workings of what happened in Indy and just how they run that offense, how he thought mentally working through a defense, et cetera, et cetera. This is kind of out of left field, but I think one of the more interesting people of my generation and certainly your generation too, Yamir Yager, I feel like oh, great is, answer is somebody He's been a character. He's played with great players, a ton of different franchises overseas in Florida as a 50 year, you know, as a 45 year old player. He's just a guy I'm super interested in. I, I don't know where I quite pulled that out of, but um, he's somebody who's always <laughs> interested in me. And uh, I, I, I would love to know more. You know, he's still playing, right? Yeah, overseas, right? Yep. He, he re-signed this year. He's going to play again. It's ridiculous. I, it's unbelievable. I saw um, great answer. Super good answer. Super left field answer. By the way, yeah, Peyton Manning, I, was, I, I have to get this in. 
how damn good would he have been this year? I mean, we're hearing all these stories now about how Philip Rivers is better this year than, than maybe he's been in the past because he can hear everything coming from the sidelines and he's super cerebral. We, I, I mean, you can't, we've kind of learned this over the past couple of years as he maybe transitions into the broadcast booth. Like this is one of those guys, like the Romo kind of a brain that he can just see something and immediately get it. But if he hears it, it's like an immediate, he, he, I guess Mike Tomlin, this was recent. Mike Tomlin basically said, Philip Rivers was calling out our defensive schemes as we were calling him. Like, like it wasn't a signal. It was, he could just hear enough to piece it together. Can you imagine Peyton Manning and his cerebralness and his uh, just ability to capture and adapt and things like that in this setting with no fans, just hearing the inside linebacker calling a play or the defensive coordinator calling something out. He, he might've had 55, 60 touchdowns in this setting, being able to adjust with, with the current setting. So yeah, super good answer on Peyton. And, and I had to think about that in 2020 with him. All right, we got to get out of here. This was long, long, but really good. I'm, I'm really glad about the things we touched on here. Plenty more to come in 2021. We'll certainly have Scott back soon. And, and Dan, it's Look, after January 1st, baseball, the yeah, baseball offseason really starts to happen. So maybe, maybe JT Real Muto will actually sign somewhere. You know, maybe there'll be a couple of big trades to go with. And, uh, you know, who knows? Maybe my Mets will be involved. There's certainly rumors about that. I got to thank some other people because it's been a good year. Certainly, Dan. I mentioned Emily Karen from Spartaco. We're going to have her back. She brought a really different element this year, not only women's sports not only college sports, but a, a really good angle of sports business that I want to continue down the path with. Um, she's a massive writer for Sportico. She, she partners with a lot of great writers over there and really handles some of that unique stuff that I love to, to keep up with as well. And speaking of unique, uh, Ross Tucker always brings it, not only in this podcast, but on the Dan Patrick show, on his own podcast network, of course, and on your live broadcast. broadcast. He became famous for, for the Philadelphia game and for a couple of other games, of course. Uh, we're going to have him back as much as possible. He's always a trip. Hembo, Paul Hembakidis from ESPN, our, our baseball stat guy, our rankings guy. Uh, certainly, once we get closer to it, we'll have him back in the fold. And... Uh, you know, we had Jane Slater, Jordan Rodriguez, Jeff Howe, all from either the NFL Network or the Athletic this year with specific, uh, you know, the Dallas Cowboys, the New England Patriots, the New Orleans Saints, and the Los Angeles Rams. Obviously, those are the big teams to talk about right now. My thanks to Keith Smith, who will be back regularly as our NBA guy to go along with Scott and, and kind of break down these numbers, both in the offseason and during the season as we get towards the trade deadline. Keith's going to be on board quite a lot. It's been a good year. Scott, my thanks to you. Scott, Dan, my thanks to you. Have a great new year. We'll be back in 2021. You've been listening to another edition of the Spot Trek Podcast. <laughs>